0: Good evening, church. Tonight, I will be continuing our series in our Baptist faith and message. And tonight I will be in the passage titled God the Father. Uh, but before we get there, I wanted to talk a little bit about just about the organization of our Baptist faith and message and how we get to God the Father. So last week, Austin Hammonds preached on section one, which was titled The Scriptures. And it makes sense that we would start at the scriptures because everything else in this statement of beliefs uh, that we have adopted is flowing out of scripture. That is the foundation and basis from everything else that we are going to look at throughout the Baptist faith and message. So uh, so title number one is scripture, and then number two, we have God, just simply God, uh, and under number two, God is three subsections. That's subsection A, which we're going to talk about tonight. That's God the Father. Subsection B, which is God the Son, which is next week. And then after that is subsection C, which is God the Holy Spirit. And if this might be your first time ever listening to a sermon, that might lead to some confusion because then you're thinking, well, how can there be only one God? And yet there's God the Father, God, the Son and God, the Holy Spirit. And so how do we have one God? And yet there's these three persons of God described in this in this uh, in our Baptist faith and message. And so while I'm not preaching on the Trinity tonight, I do think it's it's worth spending a second to talk about this uh, just to clarify that. And. The Baptist Faith and Message actually does a pretty good job of answering this because under the the number two section titled God, there is a paragraph there. And I want to focus in on the first and last sentences of that paragraph. The first sentence reads that there is one and only one living and true God. And unfortunately, the, the Trinity is not that easy, not that simple. And so the last sentence of our Baptist faith and message reads, the eternal triune God, meaning three, three triune, triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division, essence, or being. And so while this might seem like a contradiction that there are three persons of God, and yet We're also saying that there is only one and only one true living God. While while it sounds like a contradiction, it's not a contradiction. And I think a lot of times what we might think is confusing, we jump to the conclusion that it's a contradiction. Uh, But we know that there is only one God and yet he displays himself to us and lets, lets us know him through the three different people of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so, and we know this um, that each is distinct from one another, each is fully God, uh, each is without division. um, And we can sum it up by saying that there is one eternal triune God. That is the, the simplest way we can we can phrase it. In Matthew 28 19, we see this idea of the Trinity displayed in Scripture as Jesus gives us the great commission, and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So, since I'm not preaching on the Trinity, we'll leave it at that, and we'll move on to God the Father. God the Father is a pretty familiar phrase to us. Um, we, we often pray, Father God, or Heavenly Father, and even when we look to how Jesus teaches us to pray, we see Him saying, Our Father who is in Heaven. And so, while that phrase of God the Father is really familiar to us, there's a lot in it, and it has to be dissected. And so I want to help us to dig a little bit deeper into God the Father and what our Baptist faith and message says about that by laying out and going through these four points. Number one, God as Father. And so we're gonna talk about God's relationship to creation. Number two, God is not like our fathers and that he is distinct from creation. Number 3, God is Father and we'll talk about his relationship with us as believers, and then number 4, God is Fatherly in which we'll talk about his relationship to all people. So starting with God with number 1, God as Father, when we think of God as Father, we're looking to looking at him with his creation, with his relationship to creation. Our Baptist faith and message reads god as father which is point number one god as father god as father reigns with providential care over his universe his creatures and the flow of the stream of human history according to the purposes of his grace god's relationship to his creation is that as a father to a family the father of a family is the natural leader He is the one that the wife and the children look to for sustenance. They look to him to provide for them. Uh, They look to him to care and to take care of them and to make sure that they are safe and to guide them through life. He is the one that cares for and provides for them. That is, they are his family. That's his wife. That's his kids. It's his family. And this is how God is with his creation. He is as a father to his creation. We are all of his creatures. This is all of his creation, and he is as a father to all of it. Deuteronomy 32, 6 reads, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? When we think of God as father, there's a level of investment and ownership. Think of the difference between an employee and the owner of a company the employee is somewhat invested in the company. I mean, he, he shows up, he clocks in, he clocks out, he does his responsibilities and his duties, and he might be somewhat invested in that company. But ultimately, at the end of the day, he's there just to get a paycheck. But if we were to look at the owner on the flip side, the owner is the one that's there late at night making sure everything is in tip-top shape. And the reason behind all that is because he is the one that's deeply invested into, the, into that company. If that company fails or succeeds, it's his neck that's on the line. It's his livelihood that is on the line. And so the, the depth of ownership and the depth of seriousness that, that is involved with that, with how, with how deeply invested the owner is with the company, is, is profoundly way, way more than any other of the employees because it's his livelihood that's on the line. And we see this with God because God is the owner of everything. He is the creator of everything. We can can look to Genesis and and read about how he created all things. He created the earth. He created the skies. He created the bugs. He created the, the flying things, the swimming things, and he created all the animals and all of us humans. And so he is the creator and owner of everything, and that means that he is deeply, deeply invested in us. He is as a father to us in that way. Isaiah 64 8 says, but now, O Lord, you are our father and we are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. So God is deeply invested in us as his creation. But we also read in the first sentence of our Baptist faith and message. So jumping back to that, that that God provides this providential care and we see that phrase and it makes us wonder what is providential care? So I want to answer that. Providential care is the truth that God sustains and guides all of his creation all of the time. And you could break it down into those two words, providence and care. And if we were to look at God's providence, we can say that God's providence is his divine plan for all of creation. And if we were to look at God's care, we can see that that is his deep love for that creation. And if we were to combine these two things, we could sum it up or phrase it as the providential care of God. Is God the Father taking care of his children even when they don't realize it and even when they don't deserve it? Uh, When I was a a kid, my dad would take us to the mall every year around August because that was right before school would start. And for us, that was like the one time of the year that we got new school shoes. And so uh, that was like my dad's responsibility or that was like what he did for us before we we would go to school. He'd take us to the mall and we got to pick any shoes we wanted for school. And he was a good sport about it. You know, I'm I'm there thinking like, oh, I want to get the coolest shoes so that on the first day of school and I'd be so pumped on the first day of school, I'm going to wear these shoes and I'm thinking about how how people are going to think I'm cool because of the shoes, because, you know, life is all about how cool your shoes are. At least that's what I thought in middle school. Uh, And yet, at the same time, every time I laced up those shoes and every time I put those shoes on, even though I wasn't thinking it, that was a sign and a reminder that my my, my dad was providing for me, my dad was caring for me, and he was the one that gave me those shoes because he wanted me to have good shoes because he knew I needed them. And yet, in the same way, God is constantly providing things for us that we need in life. He is sustaining us. He's giving us uh, everything we need in life. Um, The Bible even reminds us that that God gives us every single breath as a gift. Uh, Every single breath that we take in and take out, uh, that is a gift from God. That is Him providing for us. That is an example of God's providential care for His creation. Another another thing that we have to ask about God's providential care is, is why why would God want to share this providential care with us? And I think the same reason for my dad wanting to buy me shoes every summer is true here in that, in that he loves us. God loves us and wants to give us this providential care. Uh, it can be summed up with the phrase, we find this phrase in our Baptist faith and message that it's according to his grace. And grace is a really cool thing because grace is somebody giving you something you don't deserve. And the, the easiest example of grace is on your birthday. Somebody gives you a birthday gift, you don't have to go and, and cut the grass before you get to open up your birthday gift. Uh, at least I hope you don't. A birthday gift is something that somebody's giving to you because they love you. It's not something that you earn. And so in the same way, God's love isn't something that we earn or deserve. It's something that God gives to us. That's what grace is all about. And so how does this truth of God as a father over all of creation, how does that apply to us? How can we how can we apply that in our lives? Uh, And an easy answer would be to be more grateful. Um, Like I said, with the shoes that my dad had bought me, I I didn't lace those things up every day and think, man, I'm, I'm so grateful for my dad for buying these shoes for me. I just didn't think that way. And I think oftentimes we don't think that way either, but we need to be more grateful for the things that God is giving us and providing for us. But the fact that he gives us every breath as a gift means that no mere man can give God enough thanks. And so I think there's another application here in that it's just comforting and assuring, and it gives us trust to know that God is as a father over everything. He's created everything. He's the owner of everything, and we can be reminded that He is in control over all things. And so that gives us confidence, that gives us comfort, and that empowers us as believers. So number one, God is as a Father over all creation. Number two, God is not like our fathers and that He is distinct from creation. Our Baptist faith and message reads, He is all-powerful all-knowing, all-loving, and all-wise. And these are just a few of the attributes of God or the descriptions of his character. Uh, Those are the attributes of God. So we can look to God as all-powerful. And I can quickly look to my dad and see that my dad is not all-powerful. I don't even think my dad can do five pull-ups. And yet, God the Father is all-powerful. We know uh, just from, again, looking at the story of Genesis that God does things that no human being can do, and the perfect example of that, and the biggest example of that is in Genesis, when he creates everything out of nothing. That takes a lot of power to be able to do something like that, and so God the Father is all-powerful, and next is all-knowing. We know that God the Father is all-knowing, and all I have to do is talk to my dad about his ACT scores, and I know that he would admit that he is not all-knowing. He might be smart, but not all-knowing. God the Father is all-knowing. Something that always reminds me of of how deep God's knowledge of everything is, is when I'm out in the Jefferson Forest riding my bike, I will oftentimes look out at the trees, uh, and I'll I'll think about how there are probably spots in the Jefferson Forest that no human being has ever stepped foot. Or there are are certain trees and areas where no human eye has seen or laid eyes on. And yet I know that God created that spot. He knows that spot. He, know, he knows every little intricate detail of that spot uh, because he is all-knowing. He created it and he knows all of it. And so I'm reminded of, of how deep God's knowledge is. It even says that God knows, <clears throat> God knows every hair on my head and your head. I know my dad knows a lot about me, but I don't think my dad knows how many hairs are on my head. I don't even know. How many hairs are on my head? And next we have that God is all loving. And our, God, our dads love us, but they are not all loving. God the Father is all loving. And, and the way that he shows this is by sending his one and only son to die on the cross as a substitution for us as sinners. That is perfect love. That is true love. That is all loving. So God the Father is all love. And we have that God the Father is all wise. And my dad certainly has a lot more wisdom than I do, since wisdom is all about living life, and my dad has so much more experience with life, but my dad is not all-wise. And yet, at the same time, God the Father is all-wise. And we can look at the life of Jesus and how he lived his life on earth, and to see that he lived the perfect life of righteousness and wisdom, and that shows us that God is all-wise. And so... God might not be like our fathers, but we can look to our fathers as an example of these attributes. They might not be displaying them perfectly, but a good dad is somebody that shows us what it means to be powerful and loving and wise and knowledgeable. Hebrews 12, 9 says that besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? And so this should encourage us to be good fathers to our children. I don't have kids yet. I really look forward to the day when I will be having kids. And when that day comes, I really want to be a good dad. And and one of the things that I think it means to be a good dad is to point your children to God the Father, to show them what it means to be powerful and knowledgeable and wise and loving, because these are the same things that God is. And we want to point our children ultimately to God the Father. That's what it means to be a good dad. But I don't think that the these attributes are listed in our Baptist faith and message for us to just look at them and try to be more like God in those ways. Rather, I think that the one of the main points that these attributes are listed in our Baptist faith and message is to remind us that He is the only one that is all-powerful, and all-knowing, and all-loving, and all-wise, and with that knowledge that God is the only one that can claim those attributes, that should drive us to worship Him. He is the only one that can claim those attributes, thus He is the only one worthy of our worship, and that should make us want to worship Him because He is so much worthy of that worship. And next, we come to God is Father. And so now we're looking at God's relationship to people. Our Baptist faith and message reads, God is Father in truth to those who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what it means to be a father is that you have children. There has to be children involved. I am not a father because I don't have any children. pretty simple concept to understand. And there are only two ways that you can have children. You can have children by birth and you can have children by adoption. And when it comes to God, the only person who can claim that they are a a child of God by birth is Jesus. And yet all of us can claim to be children of God by adoption. And so I want to look at that now, adoption. Romans 8.15 says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So a picture of adoption in scripture. That is how we become children of God. So I want to look at this process of adoption. A child, for whatever reason, is without a family. It could have been a bad situation. We don't know. But he doesn't have a family. He no longer has a family. But this new family comes along and they say, we want to be this child's family. We want to be his new family. We want to be his mom, and we want to be his dad, and we want to raise him as if he were one of our own children. And after a lot of interviews and several home inspections, probably more interviews, uh, and maybe even after months and years of the child actually living with this new family, the judge finally shows up, and on that piece of paper, he stamps it with the word adopted. And I know that's probably a really simplified version of adoption, but... It's still glorious, and it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what adoption is. This, this kid that needs a family, and a family coming along and saying, we want him to be a child, uh, want to be a part of our family. We want to raise him as if he is our own. And it's beautiful. It's not, it's not pretty, and I'm sure there's ugly spots in it, but it's still a beautiful and glorious picture of love. And yet, at the same time, this is what Scripture describes us as our relationship with God. We are adopted into God's family. <clears throat> and so we can ask the question, how does God do that? And the answer is through Jesus. If we were to go back to our example of what adoption is, that big red adopted sticker that the judge stamped on that piece of paper, <clears throat> when when we are adopted into God's family, instead of just red ink, it is the blood of Jesus being stamped on there saying adopted. And so what I mean by that is, The only way that we can be adopted into the family of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what our Baptist faith and message says, through by faith in Jesus Christ. So if we were to look at two verses in the book of John, uh, which we read in the call to worship, I think this is where we really, really see a good picture of what this adoption looks like. John chapter one, verse 12 reads, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And you might read that verse like I did the first time I read it and think, oh, that's nice. I'm a child of God and move on. But eventually somebody pointed out to me one word in that verse that really makes it mean a lot different than what you originally think. And so I found myself thinking, well, wait a second. What was I before I became a child of God? Because that verse says you have the right to become child of God so what was I before I was a child of God and later in the book of John in John chapter 8 Jesus is in this conversation with the Pharisees and he ends up saying this statement you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires those are some pretty offensive words and yet those are the very words that Jesus was telling people and that statement is true for the Pharisees just as much as it is for us before we put our faith in Christ we are utterly evil. We are utterly sinful. Uh, we are without hope. We do not desire God at all. And so that cannot, we cannot be, be children of God and children of the devil at the same time. And something has to be done in order to bridge that gap. And that is what God steps in and does. He steps in, provides Jesus. He gives Jesus to us as a substitution. Jesus comes to earth lives the life that we cannot live, a life free of sin. He dies on the cross, a death that we deserve to die, and yet he is on the cross paying that penalty for sin that we deserve. And he does it all so that we can have a right relationship with God the Father. And now because of that sacrifice, because of that substitution, we are now adopted sons and daughters into the family of God, and we are truly God's children. But the only way that we can be adopted into God's family is through the blood of Christ. And we can be reminded of this again and later on in the book of John, in John 14, where Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you, were, if you were having this conversation with somebody who maybe wasn't a believer, <clears throat> wasn't a Christian, they might ask you, or anybody really, they, they might come back and ask you the question, well, I thought everybody was a child of God. And to a certain extent, that is true. We, uh, we are all somewhat children of God in that we bear His image and that He cares for us. But I think a better way of saying it is that God is fatherly to those people, which is what our fourth point is. Uh, we have God as Father, God is not like our fathers, God is Father, and then number four, God is Fatherly. And what that? What do I mean when I say God is Fatherly? We can, we can basically sum it up and say that God is Father to those who believe in Jesus, but He is Fatherly to everybody, meaning that He cares for them, He provides for them, He sustains them, He gives them life, He is as a Father. If we were to go back to number one, he is as a father over all creation. and So God is fatherly to all people, meaning he gives them life. Uh, if we were to go back, go back to our reminder that every breath that we have is a gift from God, that is true for believers and non-believers, that each, gift, each breath that we take is a gift from God. And that is God being fatherly to all people as if he is a father, but only those who have faith in Christ are truly sons of God, and Father, and God is truly a father to them. And so, this should lead us to evangelism and discipleship, and that's the application here. Uh, this, should, this should push us to tell people who aren't adopted into God's family to be adopted into God's family, because... Uh, Because anybody can become a child of God. Um, If we were to go back to John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him and believe in his name. That says all who received him, all who believed him. Anybody who puts their faith in Christ can be adopted into the family of God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. If you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, he, he will adopt you into his family. So that should push us to evangelism and discipleship. And and as we draw to the close, I want to look at Acts chapter 26, where we see Paul is retelling his story of his, uh, the story of his conversion. And so he has this confrontation with Jesus. And Jesus, in Acts 26 verse 18, Jesus is telling Paul uh, to, he's appointing him as a witness. And he says this, I am appointing you as a witness to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And we see several things in this one verse that I think are really worth mentioning. First of all, we see Jesus calling Paul to be a witness to non-believers, just like we should be a witness to non-believers, those around us. We see Jesus acknowledging that people must turn from Satan and turn to God, which we're reminded of again in, in the John chapter 1 and John chapter 8 passages, that we are we are not naturally children of God. We have to become children of God. We have to be adopted. We see him explain here how this happens through faith and through forgiveness. We have to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And yet the very best part of that passage is in that verse is that we see people who were once described as darkness, once once people uh, described as following Satan, we see those very people having a place saved for them among the sanctified. We see people coming to Jesus and believing believing in Him. We we see Jesus gaining this inheritance that is greater than all earthly riches, and we see people gaining eternal life through Jesus because of the ministry of Paul. So God, so so. I want us to be like that. May may God use us in Fairdale in the same way that he was telling Paul here in Acts 26 to, to be a witness and so that there might be more people in heaven because of us in Fairdale doing ministry. So I want to close with this. If you have not received him, do it today. Believe in Jesus and become a child of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your gospel. God, that Jesus uh, is our substitution. And because of that, we can be adopted by faith into the family of God. And we know that you are you are a good, good father to us. Um, we look to you to, to see what it means to be a good father. And uh, we're reminded that you are in control over all creation because you created all things, you own all things, and you are invested deeply in all things. God, help us to be more grateful. We know that Every breath that you give us is a gift. Um, God, help us to be more evangelistic. Help us to be pointing people to Christ, that they may be putting their faith in Jesus, and that there will be more people being adopted into this family of God. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.